Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I am Ishwarya, your host for this episode. And I am Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We also want to thank our newest patrons, Ritu Tiwari, Kanupriya Singh, and Ivan Castro. Thank you for every contribution you make in running this podcast. This is a story from Pakistan, a story of a woman who was in many ways like a lot of us. She was in love and living a happy life. She had a loving sister, doting parents, and a relationship of three years. But by early two thousand twenty-one. something had shifted in noor's life something was wrong and the people around the people closest to her could sense it what the people around noor didn't know was that she was about to become a symbol of feminism and the rights of women in a patriarchal society noor would go down in history this is her story Ishwarya cases that involve hate and crime and violence against women strike a particular chord in my heart. That's not only because I covered the Kohistan case which was clearly an outcome of a patriarchal society oppressing women, but when crime is owing to psychopathic behavior, it's you know, it's fun to research in some ways because you know, there's a co- psychological complication involved. But when it's when it stems from societal issues like male privilege it takes on a very different angle the ki- the crime then cannot be viewed in isolation and the crime that i have a feeling you're going to talk about today is on the same lines you're right aryan these cases are always hard to cover in some cases women are just victims because of chance a man in the same position at that exact moment wouldn't have changed the nature of the crime if that makes sense On the other hand there are crimes like honor killing and rape that happen only because it was a woman in that position and they wouldn't have taken place had it been a man personally these cases are rough and this case Noor's case is one such case I hope you're all ready for it Ashara I was born ready for this <laughs> Tell us the story of Noor who is she where was she born what is this case all about So for this case I'm taking you to the very beginning to the 23rd of October 1993 and we're going to Amman the capital of Jordan where Noor Muqaddam was born the day that Noor was born the Jordan Times actually published the news of her birth a famous Pakistani diplomat Shaukat Muqaddam stationed in Jordan and his wife Kausar Muqaddam had just had a beautiful baby girl their youngest child 
Shaukat Mukadam is another one of those incredibly accomplished people we've covered on this podcast. And I'd like to point out a trend. All of the accomplished people we've covered on this podcast seem to be diplomats. <laughs> Shaukat Mukadam is definitely one of them. He's had a long and illustrious diplomatic career being posted as Pakistan's ambassador to Kazakhstan and to South Korea. So by every standard, the Mukaddam family was very well-known and well-off. But at the heart of it all, Shaukat Mukaddam was a family man. His two daughters and his son were the light of his life and his wife's life. In an article titled My Daughter Noor, he said, quote, Noor was a beautiful child. Being the youngest of the family, Noor was everyone's darling. A big, healthy baby with adorable habits. And she was effortlessly loving. She liked chocolates. She loved eating and making desserts. She loved to play with her dolls. Noor would try to speak in Arabic with our female domestic staff in Jordan and in Iraq. Noor's childhood was laughter-filled. It was happy. Some children have the habit of creating fuss on small things, but Noor was never demanding about anything. End quote. Like the childhoods of all children born to parents in the military or those born to diplomats, Noor's childhood was spent across the world. From Jordan, the family moved back to Islamabad in Pakistan for a while, where Noor studied at the Lahore Grammar School. Then, the family moved to South Korea, where Noor completed her high schooling at the Seoul Foreign School. Then, and Aryan, you'll love to hear this, Noor actually studied at the Eva Women's University, which is one of Seoul's and South Korea's most renowned colleges. Oh yeah, we know a few people at Eva University. Yeah. It's an all-women's university, but um, I was scheduled to go there for an exchange program. I, that never took fruition, but it's a very prestigious university, so that shows well on Noor's academic accomplishments, I'm guessing. She was a smart kid. It does. She was a smart kid. And that showed throughout her schooling life. After South Korea, the family moved to Kazakhstan. Since the academic year in Kazakhstan had already started, the family sent Noor to the United States to live with her older sister, Sarah. In the US, Noor joined the Collin College, which is near Dallas in Texas. But all of this traveling had its consequences. None of these places felt like home to Noor. To Noor, only Islamabad felt like home. And so she moved back. In Islamabad, she joined the Roots College International, which is an affiliate of the University of London, where Noor majored in international relations. She slowly became more and more religious and showed a growing interest in the study of Islam, which she pursued during her college years. According to Noor's father, quote, she had quite a good understanding of the literature of many modern Muslim scholars, including Ahmad Didat and Numan Ali Khan. At one point, she expressed her desire to join the Baina Institute, but I advised her to finish her education first and then study religion. I told her that I'd also study with her, as her plan was truly a noble one, end quote. Eventually, Noor's parents moved back to Islamabad in Pakistan. It was through her parents that Noor was introduced to a handsome and charming man, a man named Zahir Jafar. Not only was he the son of a close family friend, he was the son of what was one of Pakistan's most wealthy and powerful families. The son of businessman Zakir Jafar and his wife Asmat Adamji, Zahir was an only child and he was pampered and loved for reasons completely different from Noor's. 
Noor got love and affection because she was the youngest baby of the family. Zahir got love and affection because he was the only baby of the family, the only son. A dual citizen of the United States and Pakistan, Zahir was the heir to a multi-million dollar business called Ahmed Jafar and Company. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't know Pakistan allows dual citizenship because India does not. India doesn't. That's oh, wow. right. No, Pakistan does. The company was renowned for its several real estate projects, military purchases and insanely lavish business dinners. The Jaffers had connections with and ties to some of the most powerful and influential families in Pakistan, one of which was the Mukaddam family. Noor and Zahir met their entire childhood growing up. They would meet at those lavish dinners and then meet again at fancy weddings and then run into each other again and again as they grew older and slowly their romance began all news articles online call the couple long time friends but none of them tell us exactly how and when the couple met but they knew each other well they slowly became friends and then in around 2018 the two began dating noor fell in love with the fact that despite the parties and the fancy that was always surrounding zahir he was a shy and introverted young man He's described as someone content with silence, yet someone with a spontaneous side. Despite the family money and business, Zahir had chosen to study psychology and had a license as a practicing counselor with a center in Pakistan called Therapy Works. Zahir fell in love with how beautiful, intelligent and full of life Noor was. She was a compassionate young woman and despite having studied international relations, she wanted to be a vet and work with animals. I find it so interesting that he very appropriately named the clinic Therapy Works because it wasn't actually his clinic, but yeah. <laughs> but just just to have a clinic in South Asia, the right. name has to reflect uh where which something that another country is already assume like therapy works it's like saying um, <laughs> right. it's it's like saying chemotherapy cures like we we know right. <laughs> right but in south asia the stigma against therapy is so much that the name needs to prove the fact that this does work indeed you're right i hadn't noticed that before and this is actually a very prestigious and high profile therapy institute oh, wow. in islamabad where he had worked But yeah, the name is actually Therapy good. Works, guys. Th- it, it works very much. Works, does. It yeah. does. <laughs> so all of the people that knew the couple realized that the two were completely infatuated with each other, but they had a tendency to fight a lot. But the parents of the two chalked those fights up to normal adjustments of new relationships of the youth. What they saw and what everyone saw. was that the two were crazy about each other it's now the 18th of july 2021 in islamabad noor is 27 years old and zahir is 29 the two had been dating since 2018 but just 6 months before the 18th of july 2021 they had decided to part ways and had broken up their relationship was broken there were problems noor was unwilling to put up with And Noor's family and friends were happy she had found the strength to leave what many believed had become an emotionally and sometimes even physically abusive relationship. For 6 months, these two had little to no contact until 8:30 p.m. on the evening of the 18th. 
Noor receives a call from Zahir around 8:30 p.m. and he asks to meet her in a bus plaza. Despite whatever happened between the two, this was a man Noor had loved for two whole years. Their relationship was no joke. Zahir wanted to meet her because he was leaving for the United States that very night, the morning of the 19th. He wanted to see her before he left, and Noor agreed. Noor leaves her house at exactly 9:05, gets into her car, and reaches a bus plaza where the Jaffer residence is located. She reaches at 9:45. Once she reaches a bus plaza she sends Zahir two text messages asking him where he'd like to meet at home Zahir said and Noor made her way to the Jafar residence a sprawling bungalow protected by guards and tall walls where Noor had gone multiple times in the past this house wasn't new to her in many ways it felt like her own she even had the keys to the residence 6 months after the breakup At this time on this date inside the house was just Zahir his two house helps a cook and a guard Noor got into the house at around 10 p.m. that night and Noor's family never saw their daughter alive ever again The events of the night of the 18th after Noor gets into the Jafar house are broken We know bits and pieces of what went down inside that house and using those details we can create an image of almost 50 hours of torture and a 50 hour long crime inflicted on an innocent woman what? whose worst mistake whose worst mistake was wanting to live her life as she saw fit whose worst mistake was making a choice every man was given the right to make Inside the Jafar residence located in the F7/4 area of a bus plaza now Noor and Zahir were together it was 10 p.m. from inside the house something made Zahir want to change his plans to travel to the United States he began to call his travel agent multiple times asking what would happen if he decided not to board the plane that night asking his travel agent to somehow get this flight cancelled or postponed for exactly 10 days later the travel agent was clear zahir's flight was just in a few hours and it was too late to cancel if the flight was to be postponed he would have to pay the extra money for the cost difference he would definitely lose money if he didn't board that specific plane after five calls with his travel agent zahir sent him a text message saying he would be boarding the flight after all An hour after Noor had arrived at the Jaffa residence at 11 p.m. on the 18th, a cab arrived outside the house. It was a cab that Zahir had booked that very morning to take him to the airport. The driver waited and waited, and when Zahir didn't show up, the driver called him at 11:15 p.m. when Zahir told the driver to wait just a little longer. The driver waited and waited, but got frustrated. The driver was losing money. He called Zahir again at 11:36 p.m. and was told to wait just a little more once again. Oh wow, so he's at by this point waited for over half an hour. Over half an hour, yep. Okay. It was now 12:07 on the 19th of July. The cab driver breathes a sigh of relief to see Zahir coming out of his house, but instead of getting into the cab, <laughs> Zahir pays the driver a thousand rupees for the trouble of waiting, and tells him to leave since he was already too late and wouldn't make his flight anyway. 
The driver leaves and Zahir goes back into the house. At 1.40 a.m., Zahir gets a call from the driver who said that since Zahir was nice enough to pay him a thousand rupees, if Zahir changed his mind and decided to go back to the airport any time that night, the driver would come and pick him up. Zahir could just give him a call. Zahir said, thanks. He said he might take the driver up on that offer and hung up. About 10 minutes later, after Zahir received this call, he called the driver again and asked him to come. The driver reached at 2 a.m. and waited again. At 2.15 a.m., the driver saw Zahir exit the house with his luggage, but something was weird this time. Along with Zahir was a woman, a barefooted woman who also sat in the cab. This barefooted woman is Noor. The entire time inside the cab, Zahir kept speaking to Noor, but Noor remained silent. The cab driver said nothing about how weird it was that Noor was barefooted and just drove the couple to the airport at 2.20am. On their way, suddenly, when the cab was at the Kulsum underpass, Zahir tells the car to stop, tells the driver to turn around and take them back home. When the driver asked what was wrong, Zahir again told the driver he was late and wouldn't make the flight. He would rather just go back home. At around 2.35am, the driver dropped the couple back off at the Jafar residence. Then, again, at 3.58am, Zahir made another call to his travel agent, but the call wasn't answered. I wonder why the call wasn't answered at 4 in the morning, Ishwarya. Are people not right, up and doing people business? people don't sleep. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, the poor travel agent. And there's something so eerie about Noor being barefoot. I don't know why. But it's perhaps one of those things that is so easily, um, you know, to fix in one's appearance. It's not like her putting on her shoes was a big inconvenience. She could have easily done it. So... Right. Why didn't? Why was she barefoot? That's so eerie. To and me. just the way the driver describes her as being quiet the entire ride, and Zahir continuing to talk to her while she was barefoot. Just the image in my mind yeah. in a cab at night, a cab that you know he's asked to go back mm. so many times and come back again. Just the entire situation is very eerie. Now it's morning again, at around three p.m. on the afternoon of the nineteenth. Noor's driver Khalil gets a call on his phone. The call was from Noor. On the call, Noor asks Khalil not to mention this call and its contents to anyone. She pleads with Khalil to bring her 7 lakh rupees immediately but begs him not to tell her parents about it. Khalil is blunt with Noor. He simply did not have 7 lakh rupees lying around like that. He couldn't get her the money. Noor pleads with him, tells him how important it is that he arranges the money and promises with everything she has to return it by the evening of the same day. She asks Khalil to please ask his friends for the amount. Oh, also, Noor says, tell Ammi and Abu that I'm going to Lahore. Khalil calls Noor back a while later and tells her he could get her three lakhs, but not the full seven. Noor agrees to take the three. At around 3 p.m. that afternoon, Khalil reached the Jaffa residence with 3 lakh rupees. In an interview with Geo News, Khalil said, quote, 
When I called Noor Madam, she said she can't come out and told me to hand over the money to the cook. End quote. Zahir's cook came out of the house and took the money from Khalil. After dropping off the money, Khalil went to see Noor's parents to tell them that she was going to Lahore. Both of Noor's parents were incredibly surprised. It was Eid the next day. Why would Noor go to Lahore a day before Eid, a festival that the Muqaddams and every Muslim family across the world loves to celebrate together? And why the hell would he be the one to go and tell them such a thing? Yep. She could Something have texted. Something felt off to the Muqaddams. Yeah, of yes. course it did. Sometime this morning, Noor also spoke to her mother on the phone and told her the same thing. She was going to Lahore. She didn't mention where she was though or whether or not she was in danger and she never asked for help. Almost eight hours passed since Khalil dropped the money off to Noor. It was now 11pm on the 19th of July. So it's been almost 24 hours. It's been 24 hours since Noor entered the Jafar residence. Seemingly, everything was fine inside the house. Noor and Zahir were still inside and hadn't left the gates of the bungalow since 2am the previous night. At around midnight, Noor receives three texts from her father asking her where she was and if she was alright. Soon after Noor received these texts from her father, she and Zahir got into a terrible fight, the screams of which could be heard by the other men inside the Jafar residence. However, Noor's father never received a response to his texts. Worried, Noor's mother texted her daughter again at around 1am on the 20th of July. She received no response either. Noor's parents were now beginning to panic. Her father sent her two more texts, but again, no response. The more time passes without Noor responding, the more her Ammi and Abu began to worry. By 5am in that morning, they had called her multiple times, left many texts and reached out to Noor's close friends who were now also trying to contact her. But no response. Not until 10.43am on the morning of the 20th. Noor managed to send a voice message to her mother from Zahir's house at 10.43am. This was to be the last message Noor ever sent anyone. Noor's family refused to release the contents of this message to respect her privacy. But what did happen because of Noor sending this message was that Zahir realized Noor was trying to contact her mother. He panicked and at 10.56am, right after Noor had left her mother a message, Zahir snatched her phone from her and called her mother three times at around 10.56 using his own phone. He spoke to Noor's mother for around 20 minutes, repeatedly telling her over and over again, Noor is not with me. She's not at my house. Next known communication from within the house happens at 1.44pm when Zahir called his father, whom he spoke to for 30 minutes. Then he called his father again at 2.14pm, but only to speak to him for 9 seconds. For the next almost four and a half hours, No calls left the house. However, what was happening inside the house was nothing short of all of our worst nightmares. At 4pm that evening, the cook inside the house and the guard begin to hear Noor's cries and screams 
coming from the bedroom on the first floor. The screams got worse over time before dying down and then they would begin again. However, none of the house helps, the cook or the guard did anything about what they were hearing. Then at 4:15 p.m., there was an attempt to escape. An attempt caught on CCTV cameras inside the house that no all of you way. can go and see on our Instagram at Desi Crime. In this video, we can see Noor on top of the balcony of the bedroom on the first floor in which she was with Zahir for the last many hours. She comes out on the balcony from the room, grabs the railing, puts one leg up and then the other and jumps down to the ground floor. Holy her chest crap. and arms her chest and arms hit the air conditioner protruding from the wall outside and she stumbles on the grill on the ground floor. Wounded, she's now walking barefoot, slowly and sheepishly holding her stomach. And this is all caught on In camera. In the video, all caught on camera. Oh my yeah. God. In this video, she walks towards the main gate of the Jaffer residence. As she reaches the gate, Zahir comes out on the same balcony Noor jumped from and tells his guards to not let her leave. And the guards agree. In the CCTV footage, a wounded Noor can be seen standing next to the main gate of the residence with the guard talking to him, but the guard doesn't open the door to help her leave. Then, right in front of the camera, Zahir jumps off the balcony, lands on his feet and walks towards the gate. Next to the gate is a room for the guards to sit in. He grabs Noor by her arm, snatches her phone away from her and locks her up inside the guard room. He returns minutes later, opens the door of the guard room and drags Noor out by her hair. And the guard can see this. He pulls her by her hair. The guard can see this, yes. See, you know, I was almost about to empathize with the... Um, the workers at the house saying i understand the class difference and how you do not react in such situations because you fear for your own life right like when you're hearing her shout from the bedroom but it is a different level of cowardice and i personally yeah. hate cowardice when a woman or when anybody is being beaten and berated in front of you and you do not even act yeah you're a guard Are you, I feel exactly the way you feel Aryan there's a part of me that understands that unless the guard himself decided to run with Noor and save her that way the guard would probably die if he feared Zahir and so would Noor because Noor was in no state to run I like if the guard did choose to help Noor I don't know what the escape plan would look like they should have called the cops that's what they should have done but yeah no the video makes me sick to my stomach i see i haven't seen the video guys i'll watch it almost as soon as you would but go check it out if ashwara is uploading it on desi crime i'm you know yeah. not excited but really curious to see this video yeah in the video it's clear zahir comes out he pulls noor out of the guard room he pulls her by her hair all the way back into the house up the staircase still grabbing her by her hair taking her back into the same room where he's held her captive for what is now the last 2 days 
Then begin the most heinous hours of torture in this entire 40-hour long crime. Inside the confines of the room, Noor and Zahir had another fight, which ended with him taking out his revolver in an attempt to shoot her. But as he loaded his gun and pointed it to Noor's head, the bullet lodged itself in the gun and the gun stopped working. But that wasn't going to stop Zahir. Murder was already on his mind. He pulled out his Swiss knife and began stabbing Noor over and over and over again. In the process, Noor fought back. There were scratches all over Zahir's arms and face. But by now, she was bleeding profusely. And she fainted. Despite having fainted, Zahir continued to stab her. He then put his hands around her neck and didn't let go until she died. Noor's post-mortem report would reveal her cause of death to be a lack of oxygen supply to her brain. But Zahir wasn't done. After Noor had died, he took out his knife again, put it on her throat and kept cutting and kept cutting and kept cutting until her head was no longer on her body. What? In fact, Aryan, Noor's head would be found three feet away from her body and the evidence from the body and pattern of blood would suggest that after beheading her, Zahir had kicked her severed head around multiple times. If all of this, all of this wasn't enough, Noor's post-mortem report would later indicate that not only was she murdered in cold blood, she was also raped multiple times over the course of these 40 hours. By this time, the guard at the gate had called Zahir's father and told him that there was something wrong in the house. The guard didn't tell him that yeah, there was no a murder. Shit. No he didn't, shit. No, but he didn't tell him there was a murder or a oh, beaten okay. up bruised girl inside. Okay. Yeah, see, what that's he said was, <laughs> it is, it is. All he said to Zahir's father was that Zahir was being rowdy and there was a fight in the house. Mm-hmm. Zahir's Ish, father... I've been rowdy in the past. I can assure you this is not yeah, what this rowdy is not looks it. like. No, no. I hope not. Zahir's father, worried, narrated the call to his wife who ended up calling the doctors who worked at the counselling centre where Zahir was employed. A centre called Therapy Works. Now, it's important to point out here that not only was Zahir employed at this therapy centre and not only did he regularly give talks at this centre, a while ago, Zahir was also admitted at this centre. Zahir had a history of violence, drug abuse and assault racked up against him. He was an avid user of both ice, which is crystal methamphetamine, and cocaine. What? Yep. What? There's more. He did meth and coke? Yep. And he, he was an introvert? He was an introvert, apparently. Which an introvert According does According to sources. <laughs> oh my god, he did... You, you can't just drop that on me that, you know... There's this more. Dude, this, dude, this dude, he does meth and coke. Okay. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> Not only was Zahir an avid drug abuser, he had previously been in police custody and put into rehab for assaulting his own mother in the United Kingdom and was involved in a criminal case when three women 
all on heavy drugs supplied by Zahir had left a party that Zahir was hosting and had crashed their car at a speed of 200 kilometers per hour leading to the death of all three women on the spot not only did Zahir abuse drugs he abused drugs while he was a chronic schizophrenic His schizophrenia wasn't new. He had suffered from it for the last 5 years before he met Noor. He was in the United States for his undergraduate degree when his drug abuse led to drug-induced psychosis which triggered his chronic schizophrenia mm. and led to his parents calling him back to Pakistan and him never being able to complete his undergraduate education. I've heard a lot about drug-induced uh, schizophrenia and for those of you who do not know um some some of us just have this genetic proclivity towards schizophrenia which does not necessarily come out when we are kids but um and i think i have it i, I don't know why this just weird believe that i have a genetic predisposition to it because i've had really bad experiences on weed but um yeah. uh, really i've i've had psychotic breakdowns on you know you know all about it i've yeah, hypno- <laughs> I, i have uh, had i've seen stuff on weed which is anyway the point being that even something like weed can trigger schizophrenia and one should be very very careful if you have family history about uh, you know with schizophrenia and clearly zahir's use of the drugs that he was abusing coke and meth mm. had pushed him over the edge if he did truly have that proclivity In fact, here is a leaked audio of Dr. Tahir Tahoor, a senior psychiatrist at the center where Zahir worked, who recounts Zahir's violent history. He had an incident in the UK where perhaps with a fight with his mother or something, he had got violent and that the police had to be called and it then it was hush hush and it ended. We know of this there was an incident in london where he got violent with his mother and the police was called this is one incident we know of yes he had a history of hard drinking and drug use and there is a group in islamabad in which that boy survived and four girls were killed with that party also took place from his house that was after 2019 it was in نور while the two were in a relationship too it was all of these habits and incredibly serious incidents that had led to zahir's parents cutting him off financially zahir was always at a shortage of funds because whatever little he would earn he would spend away on the lifestyle he was living this is stated as one of the reasons he made noor arrange for the 3 lakh rupees despite coming from a very wealthy family His habits had led him to be in a friend circle of men who were also violent and aggressive. Noor's friends who knew both Noor and Zahir since they were in high school, middle school, have come forward to call Zahir's male circle of friends quote vile and misogynistic end quote. 
In fact, one of Noor's closest friends had a disgusting online encounter with Zahir that she came forward to talk about. Men like Zahir uh, identify how privileged they are. They identify how they can probably get away with things. I mean, even now he's he's pretending he doesn't speak Urdu. He's he's lived in Pakistan his whole life, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, as far as I know, he went to the U.S. for one year when he was doing his uh, undergraduate degree, and uh, he's pretending he doesn't speak Urdu, uh, and he's saying he's a U.S. national and not a Pakistani. He's absolutely Pakistani. He definitely speaks Urdu and so that's why he he literally believes that he can get out of it um seven eight years ago uh, I've been sharing these uh, Facebook conversations that I had with Zahir where you know he's threatening trigger warning uh he's he threatened to um I can't even say it honestly um but he basically threatened sexual violence by 6:35 p.m. that evening, by which point Noor is lying beheaded in a pool of blood in Zahir's room, Zahir calls his father again and speaks to him for about 2 minutes. Then he calls his father again at 6:37 p.m. and speaks to him for another minute and a half. Then at 6:42 p.m. he calls his father and speaks to him for over 4 minutes. It's later revealed that in multiple of these calls to his father, Zahir made it perfectly clear that he did in fact murder and behead Noor. So his parents were aware of what was going down inside that house. Yet Zakir Jafar consoled Zahir saying, "Quote, you don't have to worry, I can handle it. I'm sending you guys to rescue and dispose of the bodies." End quote. At 6:53 p.m. and 7:09 p.m., Zahir called a close friend of his and speaks to him for just over a minute according to the police each of these calls was an attempt on zahir's part to get out of the murder he had just committed he wanted a way to escape simply proving that he was fully aware of the crime he had committed mm. making it incredibly hard for his lawyers mm. to later claim he was insane That's and thus unaware point. of his actions such a good point According to the police, Zahir was quote completely aware of his actions end quote and was cunningly trying to wiggle free of the situation. At 7:30 p.m., Zahir called his father's friend and had a conversation that lasted five minutes and forty-six seconds. Quote: "I am in a terrible fix. Please help me. Come to my house immediately," Zahir said. His father's friend asked him what had happened and how grave the situation was. Zahir lied through his teeth when he said, quote, "Robbers have entered our house. I am alone. Please come quickly." End quote. The father's friend said he'll try to do something. This friend, worried, ended up calling Zahir's father immediately. Quote, "What is going on with your son?" Something doesn't seem right. He's never called me before. I don't even have his number saved on my phone, he said. He urged Zakir Jafar to go and check up on his son. So by now, Zakir Jafar had received two phone calls warning him that something was wrong inside the house mm. and multiple calls from his own son which should have raised serious alarm bells. But instead of calling the cops, Zahir's parents called Dr. Tahir. the practicing psychiatrist of the therapy center where Zahir worked. 
on this call, Zahir's father said something very weird to Dr. Tahir. Quote, quickly go to the house. Zahir is trying to solicit a girl. End quote. Dr. Tahir, who was understandably puzzled by this sentence and this request, asked Zakir Jafar what he meant by soliciting a girl. Yeah, what? What What exactly are you saying is exactly what Dr. Tahir asked. Dr. Tahir, you're a smart man. I'm sure you understand what I mean. Please go quickly, said Zakir Jafar. Meanwhile, Zahir began calling his friends, making excuses for him to be able to not be held responsible. He told some friends that robbers had entered the house while others were told that he had been attacked. His last call for help was made to a female friend. Quote, This is a life or death situation. Please come quickly and bring your guards with you. End quote. But what's the matter? Tell me something at least, she asked. Quote, Dr. Tahir has come to inject me with something. My mother and the doctor want me to get admitted at Therapy Works. End quote. Shortly after this call ended, at around 8pm, a team of doctors and employees from Therapy Works arrived at the Jaffer residence. The team quickly realized that the doors and windows to the house were all locked and nobody was coming to open them. When more than 25 minutes passed and Zahir didn't come out of his room, Amjad, one of the members of the therapy work staff, found a ladder in the backyard of the house and decided to use it to enter the first floor bedroom where Zahir was. As Amjad and many other members of the team entered the balcony of the room and made their way inside the room, Amjad heard a gunshot ring. It was Zahir who had tried to shoot him. Despite the house guards telling Amjad that Zahir did not have any weapons on him, Zahir shot Amjad with his 9mm pistol but missed the shot. Quickly, the men were able to hold Zahir down and even though Zahir had a gun, they tied him up in his room while one of them ran to the nearest police station to call the cops. Even the shock of having to tie Zahir up and save themselves from getting shot couldn't take away from the shock of the dead body of a beheaded woman lying in this room in a pool of blood. The men that saw the crime scene firsthand will probably never forget the visual of Noor in that state. I cannot get it out of my mind right now, Ashwarya. I have I, I have goosebumps right now just imagining that entire out- encounter. It's You're describing something straight out of a movie. I can't even imagine the people that witnessed it, much less the person that committed it, that's a whole another Ishwara, you literally just atrocity. told me Amjad dodged a bullet, yeah. entered a room, tied a man with a gun and saw a beheaded woman that was this shot in Los Angeles. So this is made up. This is made I up. I know. Amjad's life. I Someone needs to talk to Amjad. I think that's an interview I'd love to hear. The police arrived later at the crime scene, shortly after the therapy works employees did, and Zahir was arrested. In police custody and then during his indictment hearing in the court, Zahir admitted to the murder. Quote, I accept I have committed this crime. Now it's up to you to punish or forgive me. End quote. Quote, we quarreled and we both were angry and this all ended up happening. Zahir said, 
to his sessions judge Atta Rabani. In court, by the way, Zahir was a big mess. He would stand up and start speaking randomly, interrupting other speakers and claiming it was his basic right to speak in court whenever he wished. He also, on multiple occasions, began hysterically crying inside court. Quote, I want to apologize, he said. This case is related to me. You're hearing the lawyers of the others, but not giving me time. End quote. Addressing Noor's parents in court, Sahir said, quote, I was in a relationship with your daughter for the last three years. My life is now in your hands. Please have mercy on me. But if you want to see me hanged, it's okay and I'm ready for it. End quote. Sometime during the hearing, he also said that Noor had offered herself up willingly for a quote, sacrifice, but he never explained what he meant by that. Despite admitting to the crime, Zahir would deny it at random moments and blame the therapy work staff for the murder. Quote, we had arguments, but if these people didn't come in, this murder wouldn't have happened, he said. Quote, he is the guy, Zahir said, pointing at Amjad. I asked them to wait outside my home for at least 30 minutes, but they barged in through a window and all of this happened, end quote. He also begged the judge to release him from jail and put him under house arrest. Quote, I can't live in jail. Can't lead such a life. I want to live a life where I have a wife and children. Please tell me if you're going to hang me. Release me or forgive me, he said. Aran, this seems like a weird kind of emotional manipulation of the crowd. I'm sure he's not succeeding in manipulating the judges or the lawyers. But I don't know what all of this says about him. He's eccentric and narcissistic in the sense that he thinks all of this revolves around him. Yet there is... The, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's, if he's sorry for what he did. Or... To me, it sounds like exactly what it sounds like. By which I mean, I don't think there is any deeper intention he has he sounds like a coked up anxious person he does that's that's exactly what he sounds like it sounds like a person for example a regularly anxious person is one who does not like being in limbo right whether say you're you gave a bad exam and you just want to know whether your exam went well or just get the bad grades right and you're you're anxious for the duration Till the result doesn't come but once it comes you're okay it's like you send a text message saying will you be my girlfriend and you're you don't care if it's a yes or no you just want the answer want the response yeah this is anxiety on cocaine it's anxiety <laughs> times a hundred it's anxiety about whether you're going to let me live a life or send me to prison and he's just unable to live with that anxiety because he's a cokehead right No, that makes perfect sense. Zahir's parents, who were in Lahore at the time the murder was taking place in Islamabad, had also been interrogated by the police for their knowledge of the crime and why they didn't call the cops when it was obvious that there was a murder. In fact, in open court, Zahir admitted that the pistol he used, the pistol found on the crime scene, belonged to his father, Zakir Jafar. Quote, that pistol belongs to my father, and this was all in my father's knowledge, end quote, indicating that his father knew of the crime. But his parents claim they never knew there was a murder in the house. 
they knew something was wrong, which is exactly why they asked the employees of the therapy work staff to get into the house, but they didn't know of the murder. By the time they found out about the murder, one of the therapy work staff members had already gone to the police station to call the cops and then the Jaffers obviously felt no need to call the police again and waste their time. This was their explanation. In police custody, Zahir admitted to the murder. He did it. Why? Because he was in love. This explanation for murder makes my blood boil every time I hear it. And there seems to be something about this explanation that makes it particularly common in patriarchal countries, countries like India and Pakistan, where love and passion arousing from that love is used as a justification for murder so often. According to Zahir, he was crazily in love with Noor. He had been for the last three years. And that was no small deal. It was a serious adult relationship. He did not wish to break up with Noor, but she ended things between the two of them. This hurt Zahir. He wanted to marry Noor. He wanted her to be his wife and the mother of his children. But she had rejected him. Not only had she rejected him, Zahir had found on Noor's phone text messages with a different man, a man Noor had maybe started to develop feelings for after she broke up with Zahir or maybe when she was with Zahir. But in Zahir's mind, Noor was his. The breakup meant nothing. The text messages he saw were cheating. All of this made Zahir angry and Zahir has a history of not being able to control his anger. In the heat of the moment, with all of this information rotting away in his mind, making him angrier and angrier by the minute, Zahir decided to murder Noor. Whether this murder was premeditated or truly just a I got angry in the moment and killed her, I don't know. Prosecution pointed to the fact that Zahir had a flight to the US for the night of the 18th. exactly. And that they used to say that that indicated that he was trying to kill her and run away to a country from which extradition would be incredibly difficult, especially since he was an American citizen. Some Mm, of his friends have... Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Aryan, some of his friends have also come forward to say that just a few days before the murder, Zahir had asked them if he could be arrested for murder in Pakistan since he was an American citizen too. This piece of evidence too points to the murder being premeditated. But honestly, when a crime is this gruesome, it really stops mattering whether it was premeditated or not. Nobody in Pakistan cared about that tiny little detail. They wanted Zahir hung. In fact, a significant number of people wanted Zahir hung in public and wanted his parents and the house guards to receive the punishment too. The country was outraged with protests and candlelight marches all over Islamabad and Lahore. NGOs for women came out with articles in local newspapers and speaking in news channels of the sad state of affairs of Pakistan when it came to cases of violence against women. Something needed to change, they said. Women were sick, are sick of being the subjects of such violence. The case drew such attention that Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan too came forward to express his deepest condolences and assure the family of speedy justice. 
Pakistan promised a speedy justice and Pakistan delivered speedy justice. Less than a year after the murder on the 24th of February 2022, just 10 days after Valentine's Day this year, Zahir Jafar was awarded the death penalty for murder, a verdict that needs to be confirmed by the Pakistan High Court but was hailed by the country. He was also awarded 25 years of imprisonment for rape while his watchman Muhammad Iftihar and gardener Muhammad Jan were sentenced to 10 years in prison for a betting. The court dismissed the position taken that Zahir was suffering from any mental disorder and could be acquitted on those grounds. The court also acquitted Zahir's parents and the therapy works employees claiming there was absolutely no evidence that either of these parties did anything to assist Zahir with the murder. This upcoming July would be the 1 year anniversary of Noor's death. The lives of her parents are forever shattered. Her siblings will forever long for her love. But Noor is gone. Noor's parents now hold candlelight vigils and public dinners on the anniversaries of their daughter's birth. They find comfort in public support. मैं चाहती हूँ कि मेरी बच्ची को इंसाफ मिले जिसने कत्ल किया उसको भी वैसे ही सजा दी जाए क्योंकि वो नाहक कत्ल हुआ किसी का बच्ची का तो इसलिए उसको भी वैसे ही सजा मिलनी चाहिए और जो जो इसमें शामिल थे ना उन सब को मेरी यही रिक्वेस्ट होगी अदालत से और सबसे पाकिस्तान के हुकूमत से भी इसको इंसाफ दिया जाए और इसको जो है जल्द से जल्द इंसाफ हो मेरी बच्ची के कातिलों को सजा दी जाए मैं चैन से नहीं रह रही मैं सो नहीं सकती हूँ आपको पता नहीं है मैं दिन रात जो है अपनी बच्ची के लिए मेरी बच्ची जो थी मेरे घर की आपको पता है रौनक थी बहुत ही बहुत ही अच्छी बच्ची थी पर मैं बर्दार हम लोग की इतना ख्याल करती थी हम दोनों का मैं आपको बता नहीं सकती चलते फिरते हमें हर वक्त लम्बे लम्बे हमें नजर आती है कभी आई अभी आई अभी आई और जब वो नहीं होती तो आपको पता है एक मकत कलेजा कैसे पड़ता है In cases like these one is hard pressed to ask themselves how do we create men like these how do we manage to create these cultures and these societies where the lives of women are so dispensable there is change don't get me wrong but it's not fast enough if a practicing counselor in Islamabad one of the most progressive cities in Pakistan killed his girlfriend in cold blood for saying she didn't want to marry him change is not fast enough like i said noor is gone but if this case if her death gives women the strength to be stronger to never bow down to fear if it brings men out in support of the women in their lives if it forces patriarchal countries like pakistan to introspect noor's death wouldn't be in vain and with that we will see you in our next episode of the desi crime podcast till then Stay crazy, stay desi.